Welcome to Australian Hunger. I am your host, Ben. On today's episode, interview with Nick Holmes from Bloodbath. Really great to talk to him. I actually talked to Greg McIntosh of Paradise Lost, who Nick Holmes is in Paradise Lost in addition to being in Bloodbath. And, you know, I'm going to collect all the, you know, I'm going to catch them all. I've got to catch all the guys in the band, all the guys from Paradise Lost, and then I can uh, win the championship. But um, we'll see how we go with that one. Before I get to the interview, um, sort of a really interesting yet tangential piece of news related to heavy metal. Metal Injection had an article sourced from an article about Taylor Swift's record contract that Vox had. And you may think, what does that have to do with heavy metal? Interesting, it does actually have a solid connection. So I'm going to quote from the article from Vox here. Swift has made a condition of her contract that if Universal Music Group sells its Spotify shares, the label will redistribute some of the money from that sale to all the artists it represents. Non-recoupable, meaning it won't count against their advances. It's a huge commitment from UMG. That, until Swift's deal, was far from assured. Um, so UMG owns a 3.5% share stake in Spotify, estimated to be worth $850 million. Now, obviously, that's a really great victory to all those artists. Um, and given that there are a number of metal bands that are on Sony, this is relevant to what I'm talking about. Um, and some of those are Avenged Sevenfold, Five Finger Death Punch, Venom, Bullet for My Valentine, Atreyu, Electric Wizard, Prophets of Rage, Nine Inch Nails, Strike Anywhere, and Entheos. You know, good news, good news all around. You know, uh, Taylor Swift, whether she was thinking personally or more in sort of a group sense, you know, she's done a good deed here. UMG, as many other labels have done, might sell its shares in Spotify, thus generating that cash for those particular artists. But my main takeaway from this was it's a bit fucked up that someone has that much power. Honestly, like really, that's kind of scary that someone has the ability to have so much influence on the music industry in this particular way, as well as as well as well dictate how much money all those other artists are going to get. Because those artists definitely didn't have that power. They definitely didn't have the ability to make those demands in signing a contract. But Taylor Swift does. And you know, this sort of goes to a lot of things. I'm not going to go into it in any detail. I just thought it was worth noting. That, like, although a lot of the artists I tend to interview and recommend may not necessarily be part of big labels that would have both this much pull in the music industry and therefore generate that much kind of revenue to be notable, um, they're all subject to the way the industry operates. And these artists can clearly have such a big effect on the way they make money. And it's, it's part of a larger issue that we have where the systems we rely on have little accountability to both the artists that generate money from the system as well as kind of the consumers who pay for their services and i'm not saying like oh i'm gonna round this up in a nice bow you know here's the problem here's the solution good you know it's part of a much wider problem that i think only really political institutions have the ability to solve because there's no real impetus from the organizations themselves and there's not really that much impetus besides the goodwill from the big artists to make a change because it's from these systems which push so much money to the top and are so interested in having the big artists being available and satisfying them you know it's it's more of a goodwill situation and that's not the way these things really need to be run we really need to be distributing funds far more widely to artists because you know taylor swift only makes so much music she only generates so much 
happiness for people. There are so many other artists, and I'm obviously not necessarily talking about the artists that I'm interested in, but like more broadly, there's so many other artists which are generating happiness for people by the fact of their existence. So I, I, I just find it shocking that one artist has that much power, that much ability to dictate. And it's kind of a terrifying thing in our world. But onwards, onwards, interview I did with Nick Holmes of Bloodbath, a bit shorter than most of them do, because, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those unsolicited interviews, which I talked a little about, but uh, yeah, really good chatting to him, really interesting in light of the conversation I just had, and that uh, will be out next week, a conversation with Lege, um, a band which does a lot of improvisation, a lot of jamming. Um, Nick Holmes talking of the fact that he doesn't think jamming kind of works for them as a band and he's not really a big fan of that as a, a writing tool. Really interesting it kind of demonstrates what you get from these conversations is really diverse opinions and it kind of brings it forward to form some sort of understanding of what it means to be in a band and what it means to be a musician and all the kind of differing ways that actually manifests. The song I play in the middle of the interview is Blood Aside and the song I play at the end is Chainsaw Lullabies. This is Nick Holmes from Bloodbath and their album out now is The Arrow of Satan is Drawn. This album, when did you guys start working on it? You released your last album in 2014. When did you start working on this one? Um, we started, I think it was kind of recorded around uh, January, February, March um, uh, th- this year. Uh, I guess it was sort of worked on towards the end of last year. Um, but I mean, the guys, everyone writes their own songs, so everyone just kind of goes away on their own, does their own little thing, then comes back. Uh, and I've collaborated with Anders on uh, on a couple of songs as well. But generally speaking, people kind of go away in a little corner, do their own thing, and then uh, then it's kind of recorded. Uh, and it's 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 quite recorded in steps as well because the drums were done first. Then quite a bit later, I did the vocals over rough scratch guitars, and then the guitars were done after after me. So it's quite a staggered process the recording situation with it. That's interesting. How is it um, to sort of keep that all together for you guys? I mean, it's, it's when you've got the internet, it's easy because you can just file share, you know. And obviously, with, with the chats as well, you're never that you're never that far away from somebody. So it's a lot, you know. Gone are the days of having a, having a meet up and jam in a room. And I mean, to be fair, from my experience, that's never been a particularly productive way of writing anyway. Sitting with someone in a room writing, I've, I've never really liked that way of doing it anyway. So uh, you can kind of ponder over things more and listen back and see if you're really into it or not. Uh, then have, a, never, have another go at it the next day if you don't like it. So it's it's the file sharing situation for me personally. Well, for most people I know, it's, it's a much more productive way of writing, you know. That's that's really interesting. So in this sort of modern, uh, modern day where a lot of people like yourself kind of forced into that kind of environment and then some people just choose it because of its convenience, it's kind of perhaps more productive for a lot of people. Well, I mean, I've, I've done it. I've worked that way with, with Paradise Philosophy for, for probably two decades now. I mean, it, it's, you know, uh, I don't live that far away from Greg McIntosh. So I could probably drive to his house. So, but I mean, it's it's just a, uh, if someone sends you some music, you know, you can initially think it's brilliant and then perhaps the next day or two, you might not like it as much or, or vice versa. It's something you've done. So it's, I think it's good to get something and then kind of really listen to it on your own and have your own, you know, decide what you think. Uh, when you're with someone, it's always always changes your opinion. You don't get the full effect after I think. I don't. I just don't. I've never found it a good way of writing. The whole process of like jamming this jamming thing, I, I just don't get that. 
I'd never understood that, the concept of jamming personally, but, you know, each to their own, I guess. So uh, we, we, with you and Anders sort of working together, does he does he send you stuff that he's working on, then you go and um, put vocals over that, or how, do, how does it work yeah, between you guys? it's pretty much like that. I mean, you know, the, the, the full song's done, uh, you know, the, the whole song's done, and it's like, okay, here you go, and it's like you just sort of work out the vocal parts. I mean, on, on some of the songs, he's done all the vocals and all the vocal parts. There's nothing to do on that, but maybe he might have a little part where he hasn't done anything on it. So it's just a case of just kind of doing the bits that are required, really. And I did the same with a couple of songs where with Yoka, Yoakim, the, the new guitar player as well. There was two songs that I, I kind of kind of co-wrote with him, the, uh, the like the vocals. I I, I was going to say the melody lines, but they're not really melodies, are they? So. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned your new guitarist. How is he fitting into the band? He joined just this year, I think, or was it last year? When, when did he join? How is he fitting into the band? Uh, yeah, he sort of joined towards uh, around the time we we were sort of like uh, started recording. So beginning the beginning of a year. I mean, we haven't done any concerts yet uh, with with the Yorker, So we're touring at the end of this month, and that'll be his kind of debut with, with Blood Bath Live. Uh, but yeah, he's he wrote like I think I think it was three songs on on the album that he wrote. So, but yeah, no, he's he's a great guy. It's the first time I met him, you know. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. He but he's like a, he was from the band Craft as well, which uh, they're a really cool band. So. Yeah, he's a nice, nice guy. With the the vocals, the lyrics, uh, do you write them for the band? No, no, I write. Um, I've written. I think I've done three, maybe four songs. Uh, just the vocals on this one. Um, like I said, I kind of swap over with Anders. Sometimes he writes some stuff. Sometimes I write some stuff. Uh, Jonas, he writes all his songs. He writes the lyrics, the music, everything. So uh, that's you know, all, all, that Jonas' songs are just completely his thing. Uh, I swap a little bit with Anders, and I've done also the same with uh, Yoki as well. So, so yeah, it's it's a sort of whatever is required to get to, to get it done, you know. So, um, but it's been it's always good fun, you know. So that's really interesting. So, how is it um, singing uh, vocal parts, the lyrics that other people have written? Is it just smooth, or is it sort of adapting to them? How, how does that work for you? Um. I, it's okay. I mean, once once I always record it. If they're if they're already recorded of what I've got to sing, I, I always re-record them myself just so I can get used to the timing and, and everything. Because I don't, you don't really understand the song that well until you actually sing it back like many many times, and then it makes sense. It's for for me personally. It's, it's also a good way of learning the song as well. Because if I record something and then I learn it as well, so uh, and there is a lot of singing to learn on Bloodbath songs. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I quite enjoy it really because even if it is something you don't necessarily think works at first, you think, okay, well, I wouldn't have done that. But then when you play it enough times and you think, oh, yeah, this does work, you know, and, and I know the guys really work a hell of a lot, put a lot of into each song they, they write. So uh, it's just a case of kind of adjusting yourself to someone else's vision, which is, like I said, at first sometimes you think, hang on, I'm not getting this timing. And then eventually think, yeah, I got it, I got it. You know, and it's quite a nice feeling when you when you finally get that, that get what someone else's vision is. So yeah, no, it's always you know it's always interesting to do that. You know, because obviously with with Paradise Lost, I've always kind of written all, all my own you know lyrics. So it's so uh, yeah, it's interesting to do it. You know, no, that's definitely really interesting. Um, you, with uh, Blood Aside in particular, you had several guest vocalists on that track.
Talk a little bit about how that came about, because, you know, mostly with uh, guest vocalists, they'll be maybe spread across the album. With this, you've got three um, guest vocalists on the, the single track, a real kind of tour de force of death metal vocalists. Well, I mean, I, um, with the, I mean, I know Carl Willis and I know uh, Jeff Walker pretty well. I've known him probably most of my adult life, really. I mean, it was just a case of we used uh, Chris Reifert from Autopsy on, on the last song on the last album. And uh, we just said, you know, should we sort of give it a shot against someone else on this one? And obviously, I know the guy. So it was pretty much a case of dropping them an email, you know. So it was that simple. Uh, and, uh, you know, they could even say yes or no, but luckily they said yes. And uh, and then uh, Anders asked John Walker from, from Cancer if he, if, he wanted, if he was up for it as well. So, uh, yeah, it was just a case of just what, what bit we wanted to do. It was a simple line each, you know. It wasn't, like, particularly complicated. It would take them days and days to record. So, uh, you know, we just sort of said, oh, you're up for doing this. And it was quite a natural pleasant thing really it wasn't particularly you know no one had to, again a testament to the uh to the internet because it was all done through the net you know so it's just pretty simple to sort out you know one thing i really liked about this album you know sort of additional to all the music is the artwork it was it's 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 more subtle and un, and you know in that way sort of unsettling than your average death metal cover art um how did that come about I think it's. Um, I think. I mean. I think it was Anders. He wanted to perhaps get like like an old master, like the, the kind of album covers we used to like when we were kids. Really, it's uh, that sort of style was used a hell of a lot when we were kind of teenagers growing up, and the kind of old master type, very dark. You know, the, the kind of very dark kind of Giga type sort of artwork that like Kelly Frost used to use, the really dramatic stuff. Um, <clears throat> we just sort of wanted to, perhaps a feel of that or an element of that. I mean, obviously other bands do it as well, but it's, um, but when we saw the, 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 uh, the finished art, the finished artwork, we were quite, wow. Cause it's quite disturbing and it's kind of makes you really makes you think when you look at it. So, uh, we thought, yeah, that's really, and it's also not totally expected. I don't think for, for bloodbath to have a cover like that either. You know, it's quite a different sort of style for them really. Mm. And the title for the album, um, The Arrow of Satan is Drawn, where does that come from? Is that a, a line from somewhere? Is that something you, you guys came up with? There was a, there's, a, there's a kind of line, a, a poem that I that's read out in one of the, I can't remember which song it is, but <clears throat> it was, originally the line was The Arrow of God or, God, or Jesus is Drawn, I think. Um, but uh, I just changed it to Satan because I thought it was more fitting. And uh, then Jonas just when Jonas said he just really liked that as a title, and we were like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> was, and then it kind of just once you get a title established, then it just sticks. You know, you kind of grow into titles. You know, anything that sounds strange at first, if you live with it long enough, it works. You know, uh, and now I'm just totally used to it as a title. You know. Now, with you guys um, sort of been playing death metal for a while, particularly uh, the rest of the guys in the band. What is it about that kind of classic Swedish death metal band that uh, keeps you guys playing? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think death metal was the thing that really kind of excited everyone. When I mean, I'm a couple of years older than the, the other guys, but at the same time, you know, I was when I was a teenager, I was thoroughly excited by death metal music. It was a very new thing at the time. I mean, now there's a, a billion bands out there, but when we you know, back in the late 80s and mid 80s, it was a really new thing. And it was, I think it just blew everyone away. And it kind of, anything that, that, that kind of strong is going to stay with you all your life, I think, really. Um, I mean, you can tap, you can kind of go off it, but you always come back to come back to it because it was always such a very important part of uh, particularly my teenage life. You know, I was 
obsessed with death metal from a, from a, kind of most of my teenage years were, were obsessed with it. So it's, um, but I mean, I guess like I say, you, you, music you listen to from me being maybe 14 to 21 is a music that will probably stay with you all your life. You know, when you, when you get middle age, you can, when you hear this old stuff, you still kind of just makes you think of being young and it's quite nostalgic in a nice way. So I guess, uh, yeah, th- th- that element's always going to be there, you know, and, uh, when we were younger, it was it was death metal, you know. For some people, it might have been Duran Duran, but for us, it was death metal, I guess. One of the interesting things about um, your your vocals is that for a while, like you weren't doing death metal vocals during your career with Paradise Lost. Um, you've you've sort of started doing them with Bloodbath, with Paradise Lost. What sort of brought you back to it, back to the, that kind of style of vocals? Probably, well, a combination of what, what I just said in in a way. I mean, I, like I say, it's. You, you do, you know. I didn't do it for so long. It was interesting to see if I could actually even do it again. I mean, um, when I start, I mean, I was. We'd already planned to perhaps do go down that direction a bit more with Paradise Lost on this last album, anyway. But then the guys asked me to join Bloodbath uh, in between that, so it was just everything so it kind of fit nicely into place. Um, the style I do with Bloodbath is a lot more sort of intense than I, I do with PL because it's a lot slower. And but um, yeah, it's just it's just a case of. For now, when we record albums, it's, I mean, particularly in Paradise Lost case, it's just adding another string to the bow. Really, you know, it's just uh, you know, if you can do that, that it adds another atmosphere to the to the singing. And obviously, with Bloodbath, you know, it's got to be a uh, it's kind of like relentless singing all the way through. And uh, but it's, I mean, I've done it for four years now. I just kind of just do it now. I don't really think about it too much anymore. At first, it was kind of weird, but like I say I hadn't done it for so long, but that you soon get used to it. It's like putting on an old jacket, you know. I used to do it when I was a teenager anyway, so it's it just sort of makes sense, you know. Like, more broadly, speaking about the whole range of your vocals, uh, like, what is it that keeps you as a vocalist? What, performing, recording, what is it that about interests you in doing that with your life? Um, I d- I've done it for so long. I, there's really not. I mean, and I do enjoy doing it. I don't really ever think I don't want to do it. It's, it's. You know, I mean, you can moan about touring. You can moan about being away. You can moan about not being able to shower for three days or <laughs> whatever. You know, you, there's little kind of bumps in the road that that. Uh, but I mean, I never actually ever think I don't want to do this. You know, and that's the thing. I've got friends in jobs where they really don't want to do their job, and I, and I've never ever felt that feeling. So. Uh, you know, and I feel very lucky and grateful that I can do it all these years. So, uh, and I really try not to take it for granted, and especially as you as you get older as well. It's, uh, but I mean, you know, you've got to stay as healthy as you can, and and then it takes it out of you. Touring is hard work, you know. But uh, like I said, I just wouldn't want to do any. I couldn't find think of anything else I would rather do, and uh, you know, that keeps me going. I guess. What what is it um, in particular about touring that you like? Like, is it some sort of feeling that you get from being on stage? Uh, what what is it that you really enjoy? Uh, the bit, the the, the 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 concert's fantastic. I mean, it's, but I mean, the, it's, everything else around the concert is usually a bit of a drag. I mean, there's the travel. I mean, you the kind of ne- you're never out of airports. It sounds when you say people don't travel much, they kind of don't grasp that concept. But it, uh, the amount of time you're stuck in airports is just insane. And then if you miss flights, you've got like 12 hour layovers and it's just, uh, there's, there's so many elements that are a negative aspect of it, but the actual concert is fantastic. That's the best, that's the best part of the day, but it's getting to the concert. That can be a bit of a drag sometimes. And, uh, it's, um, but like I said, I've done it for so many years. I don't even, I, I just tick, tick in the, in, in my stride, you know, and I think everyone else does, does this for, for a living. You know, you expect to have delays, you expect to have inconvenience, 
But at the end of the day, you do the concert, and that's what you're there for. You're, you're, you're not there for any other reason. So you just got to do your gig and then get on your next one, you know. Mm, now, as we've mentioned, you're obviously part of Paradise Lost and Bloodbath. Like, so you've been in Paradise Lost for a long, long time. What was it that made you want to join Bloodbath? Was it that you had free time in your hands? Was there certain things you wanted to explore beyond Paradise Lost? What was it? Uh, well, initially the guys asked me if I wanted to join, and I'd never been asked to join another band or sort of contribute to anything particularly outside Paradise Lost. Uh, I was very flattered. I was I was aware of Bloodbath, obviously, um, uh, but I was uh, yeah I was quite shocked because I wasn't actually really doing the uh, the whole death metal voice at that point with PL. But we would we knew we were friends anyway. We toured with Catatonia quite a lot. So and um, so yeah, I mean they asked me. I was I was you know very flattered and uh, give it a bit of thought and then decided to go for it. I mean this was like four years ago. I can't believe how fast it's gone. It's gone really really quick. Uh, I still feel like I've only just kind of joined in a way. It's sort of strange, but. But yeah, it was. Uh, I think the fact we were all previously friends really helped as well. If you know, it's nice to work with people you already know and you already like. You know, it's, that's quite a, a big thing for me as well. Um, but obviously, they're also they've done some great music as well. So it, everything just sort of fit into place. I think. Mm, uh, last question: um, Is there anything you're listening to at the moment in particular? No, <laughs> no, nothing. I've, I'm, I'm having kind of. I've been sort of touring a lot the last couple of months, so I've come home. I've, I've got like three weeks off, and I'm, I haven't played any music in three weeks, apart from perhaps uh, Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman. That's the only song I played in three weeks. <laughs> um, is, so, is, so no, not really. <laughs> is there is there anything else you do like in the absence of that? What watch uh, movies, TV shows, listen to podcasts, anything like that? Read some books. Is, is there anything that I, I watch? I watch. I mean, I watch countless films. I watch hundreds of films a year i mean i, I last night i watched uh, the nun actually uh which i thought was quite sort it was okay it was kind of like a teenage horror film but i quite enjoyed it you know it was all right but i mean i, I do watch a hell of a lot of movies i'm, I'm a big horror horror film fan but i watch so many i can't remember what i've seen you know so i, I get through them that's for sure Come 
That was Chainsaw Lullaby by Bloodbath from the album The Arrow of Satan is Drawn. And before that, we heard in the middle of the interview, Blood Aside. A lot of blood going on there. Thanks to Nick Holmes again for chatting to me. I really appreciate his time. Recommendation before I finish off this episode. And it's going to be a, a bit more simpler one than I've done in the past. This is for a band called Sorox, their album The Phobos Demos Suite. Very interesting title. I'm not quite sure what it means. But basically this is just a really solid technical death metal release, which kind of emulates the sound from the early 2000s, sort of where it matured a bit beyond the... Death Metal had kind of been able to find a bit more cleaner production in a sort of way, and so they were able to put out a really fast technical record, which also sounded really great, that was kind of emerging in the 2000s. Um, it, it sort of starts fast, doesn't slow down, and, and that's all you really need to know about this record. I think it was just really solidly done. I, I may have talked a lot um, to Sumeru and Shallow Grave about issues with saturated scenes, and I think techno death metal, uh, whether you're talking maybe about more of the 2000 sounds or more of the sound that's kind of going around now, is definitely oversaturated. But ultimately, if you're doing well, there's nothing wrong with that. Even if the scene is saturated, if you're doing something really good and it sounds really great, it cuts through. I'm going to be back later in the week with an interview with Sylvain, one of my favourite interviews that I've done. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and hope you join me later in the week. Bye. Bye.